Hello, everyone. My name is Dr. Katherine Garforth from Garforth Education, and this is the Right to Read Initiative. Today, I have the pleasure of having Michelle Vanderveen, an Ontario teacher, join me for a second time. And yesterday, we looked at her journey to the science of reading and structured literacy. And today, she's going to focus on letting us know how she uses it in her classroom. I'm really excited for today's conversation and show and tell because you brought up so many different great resources yesterday. So before we get started, can you give people a little bit of background of who you are, where you've got to where you are today and what you're doing with your class? Sounds good. So um, again, my name is Michelle. I am a grade one, two teacher in Kitchener um, with the Waterloo Catholic District School Board. I've been teaching um, for more than 10 years, but in a permanent position for nine. And um, so I um, in the historically, I have been always like very hands on. I love tech. I love, you know, um, I love anything STEAM related. And I discovered uh, the science of reading. Well, I discovered, I started by discovering Hegarty and what phonemic awareness was uh, before the 2020-2021 uh, school year, just in on Facebook groups through social media. And I started using Hegarty uh, last year. And then uh, as the our classes changed up in October around Thanksgiving, um, I knew I was getting a friend joining me in my class who um, had the profile of someone with a learning disability, um, dyslexia. And I, I and his goal, that child's goal was to learn how to read by the end of the year. And I made it my mission to figure out how I could get that child reading by the end of the year. And we did. So I really um, you know, I jumped in two feet and I discovered the science of reading and I haven't looked back. Wonderful. So tell me about your class this year. What, what's the makeup and what has been your approach? Excellent. So I am a grade one, two, I'm mostly grade one, 15 ones, and I have uh, six grade twos. Um, and they're kind of mixed ability. Uh, no, um, I, I wouldn't peg anyone with an LD or dyslexia at this point, but you know, these things turn up later on as well. And I'm not a doctor and I don't claim to be a doctor. And, um, and so we, we started, you know, on our, our structured literacy journey at the beginning of the year. And I started by assessing uh, my students. So giving them a, um, a screener. And so my school board uses, we have literacy um, folders, each child from grade, well, I think it's supposed to be K to eight. Um, I can only speak from K to four because those are the grades that I've taught. Um, and in an English stream, we're an English stream school, although our school board does have French immersion. And so I... Um, I knew that I wanted to move away from leveled books and that is um, a big focus of my school board and many, many school boards in Ontario and Canada and beyond. And so, and I wasn't sure last year, while I was like dabbling in structured literacy, I kind of was just grabbing all over the place and I was still following the leveled books because, you know, the, I, I had to, that's, that's what I thought that I had to. And, you know, that, that was the mandate. And, and as I started 
learning and taking courses and investigating, I realized that um, I didn't want to um, put leveled books in front of students anymore because I am tired of kids guessing. And so what I found was that students, you know, in kindergarten, I used to do these rainbow words where I'd give my students a ring of words and they would memorize them. And then I would give them another ring and another ring. And, and they were just memorizing. They were really good at memorizing and guessing. And when, um, and then I went to grade three, four, and I noticed that students um, would come to a word they didn't know, but they couldn't guess it because there was no picture that matches photosynthesis, which is what we used yesterday. And I talked again today in science about photosynthesis of plants as we are learning in science. Uh, we're not learning about photosynthesis, living in non-living things, but, and anyways, so I, um, I wanted to figure out, you know, like uh, how I could go about doing this. So the screener, um, so this year I decided um, I was going, going to like veer away from what the board was doing. And, and I've still done a sound assessment that the board gives. And I did the Rosner test for phonemic awareness, but I've added and I've um, omitted things that um, such as leveled books. I haven't assessed and, uh, one of my kids, my students using leveled books this year. And um, so I started the year by doing, I had discovered this book in the, in the summer, How to Plan Differentiated Reading Instruction by Sharon Walpole and Michael McKenna. And I had watched a, um, I had watched a webinar with uh, Dr. Walpole in the Walpole in the summer, I believe, and it was really inspiring. I just on YouTube, I think it had turned up on social media, and I watched it, and her aim was is to provide an affordable text that teachers can use, um, because we know that. Um, you know, we talked about this yesterday. I personally purchased many of the resources I use, and that's not equitable or um, reasonable, really, for teachers to be expected to do this. I've just been on my own personal journey and made that decision to do it. But uh, yeah, so one of the reasons I left like Dr. Walpole was because, you know, she, she made, I think, I can't remember how much it costs, but it was under $50 at the time. And um, so I read through the book and she gives um, lessons on, um, so let me talk about the screener first. So the screener is uh, in the book and there's also, once you buy the book, there's a link um, where you can access more information and more, um, more um, resources for your uh, guided lessons with small groups. So um, in her lesson, she has, uh, it's, there's uh, letter recognition, sound recognition, and then, or uh, phoneme, actually grapheme, not phoneme, and because it's written. So, but, so the letter and then the sound. And, and then past that, I liked that she has, she splits words, um, based on their code. So what does that mean? So looking at CVC words, consonant, vowel, consonant words, short with short vowels, and the students have to read 10, um, 10 words and then 10 nonsensical words, nonsense words. And so for each category, so short vowels, consonant blends and digraphs, R controlled, um, vowel E, consonant E, or um, marker E, vowel teams and multisyllabic words. And when I did my initial assessment, I saw that about half of my students didn't have their alphabetic code. 
So they didn't know their alphabet sounds. And so, and as a result, they couldn't read words with short vowels. They couldn't, you know, beyond cat and mat, they weren't able to decode um, a CBC word. So uh, using this book and some other resources that I'll talk about, I started really um, following the scope and sequence and going through and um, introducing different phonemes and graphemes and building on their knowledge. So uh, in this book, uh, Dr. Walpole has different, uh, uh, she splits students based on assessment, so based on their skills. Um, so if they're in a short vowel range then the lessons are based on that so reviewing sounds uh, practicing the graphemes uh, blending words decoding words etc can i just so i also mm -hmm. so one thing that i've really liked that you've talked about is the nonsense words and the pseudo words and i want to take a minute just in case some of our viewers and listeners aren't familiar with that term and so a nonsense word isn't just a random string of alphabet letters put together. It's actually a word that meets the requirements for an English word, and it is decodable. So you're asking children to decode words they have the skills for. There's just no associated meaning with this word. It's not currently in the English vocabulary. The reason why I'm saying not currently is I've, I've been doing this for a while and some of the pseudo words that I've used on assessments years ago uh, because of the rapidly expanding English language mm. now have words associated with them or definitions associated with them. So non-word reading or pseudo word reading um, or nonsense word reading is about getting the students to read words. They have the skills to decode so we can make sure that they're not just memorizing words. They actually understand how to use the alphabetic code. Using it in a screening assessment allows you to assess the skills that they have and they don't have. And practicing them gives them the opportunity to do it with novel words. There we go. <laughs> now, I'm um, actually something I read recently because my board is doing a book study with the art and science of teaching primary reading by uh, Christopher Such. And um, this is what I have in the classroom, but the one I'm reading at home is marked up and has <laughs> highlighter and tags and flags. And But um, he mentioned that um, students should not be taught nonsense words. So... It makes me think and question uh, an activity that I do that I'll explain, but I have to think on that. But I'm not, I don't know if I'm teaching them as much as we're practicing decoding um, mm -hmm. the words. And so that's uh, something that. And I think that's an important difference to recognize. We're not asking them to read stories mm -hmm. or um, do this on a regular basis. It's just when we're introducing new grapheme phoneme correspondences and working on some skills that they may have a weakness in that we are asking them to read the pseudo words, the non-words or the nonsense words, but it's not something that we're doing on a daily activity and making sure that they can do it fluently. It's just an activity to help with getting that concrete understanding of the concept. Right. I think I'm okay. 
We'll see. <laughs> Something I need to think at and process. I need some processing time on that one. Um, so another course that I took uh, last year that I talked about yesterday was the tools for reading. And you can see the sound wall in the background and you can see the um, blue slips of paper. So when we come across um, a sound, uh, let's see. So as I teach our, my phonics and um, ooh, and I, I, I introduce a new um, graphene, ooh, phoneme graphene, um, the, the sound is covered and then we unlock the sound. And, um, you know, it's, it's, I teach grade one, two, mostly one. It's very exciting for young learners to do this. It's like, it's a, it's, it's exciting, like they're unlocking a new code. So it's it's brought some uh, excitement every week uh, or twice a week or however often we're introducing new graphemes phonemes um, to unlock. And so anyways, the tools for wording, uh, tools for reading course or lips, uh, kid lips, uh, gives you a, um, say they're covered, um, gives you these cards. And uh, the course was great because it talked a lot about the brain science behind it, which I didn't know anything about. And um, it introduced grapheme, phoneme, morpheme, these terms as well that I, I really didn't know anything about. And again, I need processing time. It took me, it took me a bit over the summer. And even then it wasn't until I started teaching this year and using it um, with my students and talking with other people that I really started to like grasp and understand the concepts and and I think too like if we don't understand the concepts how can we expect our students to so you know the more you use it and it just becomes part of your normal or your regular vocabulary anyways and on the back they give you um they give you ideas of um where how to uh how to say the sound so where your tongue should be you know um one that the kids confuse all the time is the th digraph voiced and unvoiced and um in spelling you often see for and mm -hmm. so by having the mask off has helped and i i did wear a clear mask when i was teaching this so that they could see my lips you know we have different profiles of students in our class we have students that come from uh, that are um, multi that are mlls they have multi languages or esl depending on what you call it but um lots of languages being spoken and so learning they could be learning english for the first time and so having these cards has been helpful um past the course because i can look and i'm like oh yeah it's it's this it's yeah um you know i of course i pulled s it's an easy one but it gives you information you know, I is spelled with a grapheme it in a closed syllable. It talks about closed syllables, open syllables, uh, where it may appear in a word because uh, sounds don't always, or some sounds, um, some graphemes appear in certain places in a word over other ones, such as using AI versus AY. AY you typically see at the end of a word versus at the beginning or the middle. Again, it's not an absolute thing, but um, that's uh, so these have been great this year. And, and what I love about this is that you're not expected to have all this knowledge in your head as you go along. You have that quick reference guide for you to refer to because it's a lot 
when you're taking on these new approaches to teaching reading and knowing the articulatory gestures and all the rules and remembering them on the spot can be tricky and you want to give them the accurate information. So if you have that card deck in your back pocket or beside you on the desk, (laughs) you can pull it up and reference it and make sure that you're doing it correctly as opposed to fumbling your way through and saying, oh, you know what, I'll get back to you the, about that in a little bit or tomorrow, like when I have a chance to look mm-hmm. at that. So what I think is wonderful is you're being honest about your, your learning journey and you're not saying, oh, I did this program and I'm perfect. Yeah, I've no. got it 100% down. I love how you're talking about how you're experimenting with this and learning it along the way and okay with that. And you need the chance to trial and error different aspects. And, and decide to like, you know, I'm really in, I guess, year two of, of teaching structured literacy. And already I'm thinking about what I'm going to do next year, you know, like how I want to tweak, how I want to. And, and I think, you know, that could be said for teaching in general, just teaching from the same manual over and over. We have, you know, the world changes and our students change and we need to, you know, best practice is staying current and updated and you know, introducing new things and exploring and growing. And so, um, yeah, so I think it's important to, to stay current Um, and and not just like fad, but, you know, I talked yesterday too, like this is based on science and perhaps the programs I'm using are new or newer, um, but uh, other things have been around for a long time, such as Orton Gillingham, which is the other, um, another course that I took last summer and Orton Gillingham has been around for a very long time and it is a multi-sensory approach to learning how to read and so I decided to take my instruction through IMSE um, the Institute for Multi-Sensory Sensory Education which is in the States um, and I did that because I did a lot of research uh, before deciding what I wanted to do. And it's not the only course out there and there's could be another one for you. So don't, you know, take my, uh, my input as like the only thing, but um, it worked for me and that's why I took it. So anyways, uh, the Orton Gillingham uh, uses a scope and sequence using the, um, currently they use the recipe for reading. This book cover is like ancient. Um, so they are updating it, IMSE, um, be- uh, because when you take the course, they have you write all of these notes. Digraph is two letters put together to make one sound. Die equals two graph letters. So anyways, so I have all these notes throughout the book, which have been super helpful this year, but um, they're changing it in June. So I'll have to wait and see what happens because I took the course within the last two years. I'm able to access the newly updated information. I think it has something to do with blends because teaching blends is kind of you certain. Some people say you teach them as one unit. Some people say you teach them as two units. So currently they have them being taught together. So I'll have to see how that changes, but Again, we learn, we grow, we change. Um, So this is my scope that I'm following. Mm -hmm. And again, like what I said, when I assessed my students, I saw that uh, many of them didn't have the alphabetic code. So we have to look at the alphabetic principle because if you don't have your, you know, your foundational concepts, it's going to be really hard to learn how to progress and read and decode. So I have this... um, 
uh, I can't even remember what it's called, but it's a it's to practice alphabetic principle. So it's these. This was free <laughs> um, online, and so I'm not going to do it right because I'm facing the camera and <laughs> I've got spatial trouble. <laughs> so. Um, just getting students to realize and recognize, oh, it's the arc, the alphabet arc, that's what it's called. Yeah. And so um, the order that the alphabet comes in, being able to recognize the letters. So, um, uh, and it, it's much different. So some, you know, I saw this in kindergarten where parents sign their kids up for kindergarten. They're like, they know the alphabet because they can sing the song, um, but they can't actually recognize the letters or, you know, they don't have that um, sense of order. And so that helps. Um, it, it helps with the reading because it it's not um, it, it moves within your memory. So you're, you don't have to spend so much time thinking, hey, does an A look like? I'm not sure. So by practicing the alphabetic, uh, the alphabet arc in kindergarten and in grade one, um, and possibly grade two, uh, depending on your level, your tiered level of students, um, you're able to increase that alphabetic principle. And you know, I, I laminated them, but I often use in class, you can use a, um, a sheet protector, or I have these folders as well that all of my students have, and you could slip it in here and um, um, you, I'm sure you could condense it or make a smaller um, chart so that so students... I, I've seen it as the alphabet mountain where mm -hmm. it's just uh, like a triangle and they have it's, it's the same concept yeah. right? just on a mountain so it doesn't take that whole the whole space arc and, and then you just need a whiteboard marker and you know the students practice that could be you know an entry level activity or a warm up activity and it's just to get that automaticity um and you know that have where then there's less letters so they have to um then they have you know they they're not just putting it on top but they're coming up with the letters so working on alphabetic principle and, and what I like about that activity as so many children, when you're asking them, um, you know, where something is in the alphabet, they always default to starting back at A mm -hmm. and going through the whole alphabet. But we're actually explicitly teaching that, no, you can actually start at N, N-O-P-Q-R-S-T-U, yeah. which was that example that you had just shown. Kind uh, of like, um, so for people, uh, I mean, I think everyone knows, maybe, I don't know, but number talks for math. It's something similar where you practice your um, your counting principles and, you know, all your math skills so that, you know, if you're skip counting, you can start at 55 and count by tens or twos. So it has the same idea um, where you're you you have different starting points. Mm -hmm. And so I, I've been following um, the Orton Gillingham program. And so they, uh, for the most part, I don't do everything just because it, it doesn't work. So, you know, um, Orton Gillingham, multi-sensory. So in the classroom, it, it's, you know, it's, I'm not giving every child a sand tray because that's a mess and I just don't have the space. And so we do a lot on whiteboards, whiteboard markers. I have, um, I have, yeah, I have these charts um, that students have. And so, and we, um, I have Alcon Alconian boxes. So we practice, you know, we, oh, there we go. See, <laughs> we practice 
sounding out words and and writing them down in the Alconian boxes. And um, so this, especially in the beginning when they, you know, they had never seen something like this before. There was a lot of explicit teaching, tapping out sounds and um, to help decode words. I worked a lot on CBC words, maybe too long. And this is my like reflecting on myself. I spent until Christmas working on CBC words for the most part um, because they needed it. But that being said, when I did my, I went back to do my screener before Christmas, my students had all mastered um, CVC. So they had all of their, with the exception, I think of one student, maybe two, they had, they had um, their alphabetic plus digraphs and uh, including QU. So, you know, it, it worked. I saw the progress. I saw the results. I saw the progress. With Orton Gillingham, you review um, sounds every day. So the phonemes. Um, and so I, a couple different ways. So I would either do on their whiteboards, write the sound, um, v, v, and they would have to write the letter V. Uh, the graphene V, and we would go through that. So I have a, um, oh, there it is. I have a clipboard and I highlight the sounds as we go. And so I know what graphemes we've learned and the phoneme graphemes we've learned. And I mean, it's, you know, when you reflect now, you know, May, I'm like, wow, we've done a lot. Like we really have covered a ton. And so, um, and well, then I also, hmm? I was gonna say that I think it's awesome that you have that just as a quick reference because there are so many things in your mind. And I think you said you had 21 little bodies in your classroom. Yeah that you're all managing at once. And so having that quick reference to refer to is great. I also was hoping that you could take a moment and just show one of your like Elkanen boxes activities, like so how you actually do it with your students for those that aren't familiar with them. Sure, so um, let's say the word is, um, I was going to look at my uh, assessment here to, just pick a word for myself. Let's say the word is let. Um, so I will say let, um, or hold on, <laughs> let me start fresh. Let, um, how many sounds in the word let? And then the kids tap the sound. So we do have, each student has a phonics notebook and in the phonics notebook, they have a, a bucket of tools. So they have a tapping hand so we start in the beginning with our tapping hand, one for lefties, one for righties, and, um, and we learn how to tap sounds. So, oh, at, let, and I say it, then we say it, then we say it together, let, and then they say it on their own, let, they tap it, oh, at, and then they, we'll see, they know that it's three graphemes, so we go to the three and we write, oh, Oh gosh, I can't do this, right? Oh, at, let. And so they write it. I walk around my room to see often that I, E is tricky for them. I have this poster back here that I found for free. Um, it makes you grin and eh 
drops your chin. So I try to find these, you know, little sayings and things to help, especially with um, the short vowels. The short vowels are very difficult. They often are confused. So um, we spent a long time practicing uh, short vowels. So I have these vowel sticks. I've seen, this is Orton Gillingham, but I've seen these free as well on the internet. So they all have, they have these um, tongue depressors, whatever you call them, and craft sticks, and they have all of the vowel sounds. And so I would say, um, eh. And so the kids have to look at their sticks and they'll say, I says, eh. And then we progress and we go into, um, Oops, here it is. So I've typed up a list of different uh, CVC or there's um, VC and CVC words. And so I would say the syllable is odd and they would have to find their stick and they say, O says ah. So, um, which is a phonemic awareness activity. So trying to, trying to figure out what the, uh, the vowel sound is and isolate it and find it. So hid, hid, it says, or I says, eh. So we spent a long time in the beginning working through uh, short vowels and then progressing into being able to write using the Alconian boxes, our tapping hands, and um, I borrowed somebody's book. <laughs> and so did that answer the Alconian boxes? I've oh, seen definitely. people like using um, chips, like, so they have the different colors. There's lots of these online too, you can find. This is Soundbox Mat, but um, if you search Alconian, Alconian boxes, you can find it and you can find whatever works for you if you choose to use them. People are using the poppets. I'm trying not to get trendy because I just don't. It's expensive. Yeah, like, yeah. And I mean, this works just as well. And you don't need a yeah, you could buy the sheet protector and it works. Um, uh, you can use counters or chips in your classroom. And so they tap, they tap the sound. So and, and, mm, and that A makes a whiny sound when it comes before um, a nasal phoneme such as M or N, the A changes the sound. So we you know, these are some of the things that I've picked up along the way and Tools for Reading talks about it and um, through my course with IDA as well. And so, um, yeah, so we spent a lot, we still do, I like, you know, on a weekly basis, we're practicing high frequency words. Um, so irregularly spelled words, which I haven't talked about yet. And um, we are practicing words they can decode using the phonemes and graphemes that they've learned. And it's constantly practicing, rehearsing, um, reviewing. I'm at the point of getting them, and I would start this earlier next year, but putting uh, these words into sentences to help make meaning of the words, um, which helps with the comprehension piece and then the fluency when they're reading it as well. So I, you know, I really, um, every day it's, it's not just, it's not just phonics, uh, which I talked about yesterday, which is what people have in their head, right? So we are constantly um, growing and expanding uh, something I don't think I mentioned yesterday, but IMSE has a free link tree. 
So um, it will be linked here, but IMSE Linktree, you can Google. They have a plethora of free resources um, that you can get. I grabbed this when we did the suffix ed. So we practice and it teaches you the, the spelling generalization. So when a base word ends in letters T or D, suffix ed is pronounced id. So, um, and I know like my teaching partner, she has an EA who's um, from Poland originally. And my teaching partner is actually um, Portuguese. And they both have said, if I had known these, I would have been a better reader. So, you know, and these are adults saying this and learning it for the first time. And so it's- Well, and it's, it's the same thing that I find a lot of uh, teachers and people that are on this journey of discovering more about English, like, why didn't they tell me that in the first place? And as teachers, that's what we're trying to do for the next generation forward so that they understand this logic behind the language of English and its writing system, because it actually does exist. Yeah. It just hasn't been taught in a while. And that's where um, we talked about it yesterday, but I pulled my book out, The uh, Logic of English, mm -hmm. which is um, fantastic because they have all of the spelling generalizations. So, um, for example, when you drop the E, when you're adding an, um, a suffix, when uh, C and G don't make their K and G sound and Y. And so, and then also as a follow-up to that book, it's the sounding out the sight words, mm -hmm. um, which is, has, is a great resource as well. Like I, um, it has the Dolce word. So and more words to practice. And it also connects games that you can play with the students and um, gives you a list of words as well that you can use. So that's regularly pulled out in my room. Mm -hmm. And um and then also, in addition, I haven't talked about phonemic awareness. So um, as I mentioned yesterday, uh, when I first started teaching, I had no idea what phonemic awareness was really. And so um, I discovered the Hegarty, which you know is much talked about, much debated because um, you can look it up. There's like the phonemic awareness wars now, I think, whether um, it shouldn't, that, on one side, they say it shouldn't just be oral. And on the other side, they're saying, um, or they're saying, I believe that it's that you need to have the, the you have to encode, encode as well. It has to be written. So it's not just oral. So, which is why having whiteboards or something that the kids can use in class is great as well. You can do um, word chaining or sound chaining to increase their knowledge of sounds. Um, and then, so I started using that last year and then the board purchased them for people. And then after one of the IDA workshops this year, there were two or two, no, sorry, three speech and language pathologists from Ontario and they have created their own phonemic awareness book. And I like supporting something in Canada um, as much as I can. So I, I purchased it. And, um, and they have a screener for phonemic awareness as well. And it's, it's almost similar to the Kilpatrick, like the one minute phonemic yes. awareness lessons yeah. where, you know, you kind of figure out where your students are and then they give you a list of different sounds and words and activities, oops, <laughs> that you can use. Um, so um, this, I just, 
got this in um, at the end of March, beginning of April. So uh, I haven't, I've used it a bit and I tutor on the side. So I'm using it with the students that I tutor as well. So that's been helpful. And I use a um, code pack. So uh, what's the code? The code is, or are the sounds, um, the phonemes that, um, so depending on what you're working on. So this one is for alphabetic and digraph. I kind of put them together. Uh, and so you can, um, you can build words and you can incorporate uh, morphology into this. So looking at prefix, suffixes, um, the meaning behind words. And so, um, you know, and have students in the beginning, they could be recognizing um, the graphemes and the corresponding phonemes. And then as you go, they can start building words. So um, a code pack, if you, um, Emily Moorhead is a phenomenal Ontario educator from Kingston, and she has videos that you can access through IDA, and she talks about the code pack, and so it's it's similar. Um, Orton Gillingham has large cards, but I, I like those smaller ones. It's just more feasible for me to have them in a bag, and, and then I also have my suffix kit here as well, and so having a code pack where um, when you're doing small group, we're moving away from like the traditional guided reading groups, um, not using leveled readers and towards small group based on uh, skill. And so you are able to review and strengthen your students' abilities. So that's when you pull your tier two and your tier three students and you can review your um, the skill set that they need to be strengthened and you know play games or read decodables which I also have here to show and um, you know whatever you have planned and other students are engaged in meaningful uh, reading activities reading with a partner practicing their fluency um, they could be writing sentences they could be playing games themselves um, and so it, in that way, it's, it's similar to your balanced literacy routines, because so many of us had centers going on, they just may look a little different than what they did. I mean, I saw something on Twitter today about, I think it was from Christopher Such, maybe, about the importance of repeated reading. And oh, um, what's that, sorry? Uh, Nate Joseph. Oh, yes, that's what it was. Nate, yes, yes, that's who it was. Nate Joseph. Sorry. And that we we um, we need to still be practicing reading and that's improving your fluency, like so that your your prosody so that you read how you talk and learning to scoop words as you go or scoop phrases. Sorry. So you're saying you don't sound like this. You know, you're taking your sentences in meaningful ways adding expression um so i want to show my decodables so i have bins whoop, uh, of decodables and i did purchase a bunch on my own but our parent council every year we're very fortunate and they um dedicate a certain amount of money for books and in the past and this is where like i 
I am responsible for this. We have a leveled book cart because of me. Um, think, you know, and so, but this year we, um, my teaching partner and I ordered decodables. And it's funny because we had already planned it, decided the books we were ordering. And then our principal came, he's like, you know, this right to read thing. Like, should we be buying books? And I'm like, yes, yes, we already did. And like, so it was nice. I mean, it was that he doesn't know much about it, um, but he knows that that's the way we're headed. And so he, we had the support from our principal to purchase decodables this year, which was great. So I have, you know, books that I've printed from paper that from online, I have the, um, these are the ones through Hegarty that Emily Gibbons and other authors have um, written. Flyleaf, which is still available for free online. Um, you can't print them, but you can access them online. And so I've tried to make a conscious effort of bringing in books um, that use the skill. So these are my marker e-words and they're, um, there's different access points. So there's, you know, students um, who need the simpler text still, um, but they're able to decode all of these words. And then versus the flyleaf, which I find are, they're way, they have way more text. So my students who are, um, who are uh, stronger readers are loving the flyleaf books and trying to be conscious of the um, books that I bring in. So they're representative of the students in my classroom as well. Um, so thinking about the equity piece and, you know, these are on, these were ones I printed from online as well. So there's lots, uh, there's lots out there, uh, lots of free out there as well for decodables. Um, so yes, I've purchased, but I've also printed and found free books as well. So they are available to well, you. The other day I had a conversation with a teacher from British Columbia named Catherine Cook, and she had a great idea for her students while she was doing those small group works. She had a decodable book that they were working on and put a sticky note in the back and they had to get six kids in their class that they've read this book to. Uh, and then they'd have the opportunity to read it to her. And so that gives them the opportunity for the practice with repeated reading of the text. And then these, their peers are signing off on them reading the book. And then they have the opportunity to read it to, with you. She also had their reading buddies uh, that were in fourth grade, do some of the work for her too. So when they were working on a book, she got them to read it to their fourth grade reading buddy and got them to sign on off on it. I love it. That's a great idea. Yeah, yes. I thought yeah. That's a great resource and a way to get mm -hmm. that instructional time in and having the support of your peers while you still have time to do that small group work with the students at the different levels. That is fantastic. And they would love, like, they do love reading, like they love reading with a buddy. And so, and that re uh, repeated reading and the rehearsing and, and even like, like with the older buddy and even students in the class, you know, when they stumble on a word or they're not sure that friend is there to be like, oh no, it's actually this. Now they wouldn't, they wouldn't just say point to the graphemes, you know, like <laughs> where are the syllables? 
but they would they would provide them the word i'm sure but yeah depending on the student maybe but um at least they're getting that that correction so it's you know it's not correct and let's correct it you know when we were yeah. doing msv um for our our benchmark books and we're looking at the meaning the syntax and the the vocab and or yeah and so they um we wouldn't correct them when they were reading we would let them keep those errors and so i know i, I didn't grab it it's on my small group table but i have a, a page um with i'm trying to think of who where it comes from i can't think of the name the blog but um just prompts that you can provide students um so you know it's not always it's wrong it's wrong it's wrong it's like so you know using you know these are the new instead of the you know the beanie the beanie boo approach you know yeah. start on the left side of the word uh, touch the graphemes blend the sounds identify the syllables yeah. so there's there's different approaches to uh, correcting students and and it works like when um, yesterday I had my kids um, we were doing a decodable passage and then with follow-up comprehension questions and so and it was it was the first time I released them on their own like we always we've just done it together helping them build proper sentences looking at sentence structure and um so and you know kids who came to me i don't know can you read this i'm like no touch the graphemes you've got this you can read mm -hmm. it and they can and you know they touch the graphemes they say the sounds they blend it and they're like oh it's whatever it is and so building that confidence to see that they are capable of um reading and so, you know, um, each week or uh, I, I introduce new high frequency words. So uh, words that um, may not be decodable or not decodable yet. Um, so these are words where perhaps we haven't learned the, the code or the, the strategy to read it, the long vowels. I've, real, I've only gotten to open syllable long vowels and um marker e so far but um so we'll be touching on a few before the end of the year but so there are you know there are some high frequency words where they we just haven't gotten there yet so talking about you know using the heart word strategy um which you can find at really great reading they have lots of free videos and um, materials you can access there and um, this is not from there, this is from somewhere else, but they're the high frequency words divided by skills. So looking at words with short A, at, an, an, um, can, am, and then there's a heart word. Um, so it's not so overwhelming. And then once, you know, depending on how far we get on this sheet, they've got over, I think it's over, well over a hundred words, high frequency words on top of words they can decode. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, it's, it's slowly building on that. And it's not guessing, like knowing that these high frequency words um are there for a reason you know using um s as z that many times s at the end of the word sounds like z. Mm -hmm. well that's that's not like a, a rule breaker or something that it may have been called in the past there's 
that's that's there for a reason so you know uh, teaching these words and the skill and why and then students and and when they're writing in class I wrote you know um I wrote as that's s-a-z and they're calling out these general spelling generalizations to me I'm like yes you got it keep going (laughs) and so that's the thing that I love about the heart word approach and having that opportunity to include incidental phonics within your explicit phonics lessons and program. And what that means is that you are taking the opportunity to use those teachable moments. So if you're teaching the heart word is, you're saying, okay, well, I says eh, we know that. Well, S is a little bit tricky because it's not saying it's saying Z. Now we haven't learned that yet, but that's actually another phoneme that the letter S can represent. And then there are going to be some kids in your class, then at that moment, they will internalize that and be able to apply it to other words like has and as right? And they'll be able to do that right away. So it allows for that little bit of differentiation in the moment while you're still making the lesson accessible for the rest of the class. Mm -hmm. And what I've noticed too with, you know, I did have students come to me this year who are very good readers already in grade one. And, um, and it was, it was a slow start for them because I was reviewing things they knew possibly, or they had just memorized. Um, It's hard to tell in the beginning, but as we've gone on and the skills are becoming um, more difficult, they, they may still know how to spell words ending in CK, but they don't know why. So when they've learned that spelling generalization, you just see their face like totally enamored. And they're like, yes, that's why. Like I have this one student who's like, his printing is impeccable. I I envy his printing. He's just beautiful printing. And anyways, and very strong uh, writer and reader. And, but they had this mentality that um, if they didn't know how to spell the word, they wouldn't, they would erase and think of another word instead. And so by learning the reason behind these ways, um, it's open doors for this child. So this child who does have a really high level, like a high number of high frequency words and, you know, great reading skills, for memorized, memorized words. But once, once this thing is introduced, like this spelling generalization, then the the doors are opening for them. These, you know, these higher, um, more, these students that have more uh, ability in the beginning, um, at this point, you know, and I find like in grade one, two, that sometimes it levels out as they get older, because, you know, they just came to read earlier, quicker, for whatever reason. Um, But without knowing these rules, then they could get stuck. But now that they know the generalization, uh, they're able to advance more. So you're still able to encourage those students who come to you um, with greater abilities. And the, the one thing that I, I want to ask you is how incredible does it feel when you see those little light mob moments occurring with your students? I mean, I think that K-1-2 grade level 
is so exciting as a, as a teacher because you get so many of those moments where it suddenly clicks and it's I find it so rewarding when you're working with a with a student and they're like that's why right and as you progress in the years those occurrences are left frequent and the kids aren't as enthusiastic about it you know it's it's interesting like in the beginning of the year when I do my assessment um, for writing or whatever, like I give them a sample piece and they have to write whatever it is. And I actually write verbatim in my assessment documents, um, what they've written. And so when you reflect back on that now and see like just how far they've come, it's, it's incredible. It really is amazing that they're using those, that knowledge and building on it and, and continuously going. I also think, um, like with the leveled readers that it was always a competition. I'm at level 22, I'm at level one. And so you don't have that when you're teaching um, this systematic up in this, using this explicit approach, mm -hmm. because it, it's whole group, you're, you're more whole group with small group, but everyone gets to be a part of the small group, and you're not reading a level text, you're, you know, doing various activities, I still have, oh, I didn't pull these things out, let me just grab it, just some games, right, like, so, um, card games, I just, I printed this from the internet, they're, um, it's like crazy eights, it's mm -hmm. by sound, um, sound readers, Martha Kovac. And um, these are all play again cards. So anyway, so depending on what the skill is that you're practicing, this mm -hmm. is the NK, NG. And, mm -hmm. and so they have to say the word, match the sound, make a sentence. And, you know, you have these tools and you're able to practice the skill. You're not just reading a leveled book and answering questions. And you know, there's a time and place for comprehension questions, of course. Um, but then you're able to get into more content-based um, topics for comprehension, and not always depending on um, the leveled books, which you know are limiting with the limiting with things. I have the junior learning. I believe it's junior learning has amazing products as well. So building words mm -hmm. um, with different sound patterns. And the other game that my kids love, and I didn't even, they took it upon themselves. It was sitting on the shelf and I thought, oh, there's a lot of like, there's a lot of vowel teams. There's a lot of things that we just don't know how to do yet. So I left it. They asked if they could play. I'm like, sure. They made up their own rules. And it was great because they were spelling words they knew how to spell. And they'd come to me as I spelled properly. And, you know, so they're, they're able, they're using those skills without even knowing the rules of the game and playing. Mm -hmm. So this is this is great for them. You know, the confidence has been built and they're, I'm giving them the foundational skills to continue going. That's amazing. So, mm -hmm. And I think it's incredible. I mean, you said that you've been on this journey for about two years now and you're just a wealth of knowledge and I'm sure you've invested a huge mm -hmm. amount of time, but it seems like you've had enjoyment and you're seeing the benefit of doing this learning in your students. 
And your students are so lucky to have a teacher like you who's putting the time and effort to really figure it out and make sure that your teacher's strategy, your teaching strategies are effective for all of them. And you're, you're taking the time to track their, their progress. I know I really, um, I brought up leveled readers a lot, but I mean, the balanced literacy approach where um, a kid, a student would be stuck on level, whatever, three, four, five, like early, late kindergarten, early grade one. And, and I wouldn't know how to help them really like, you know, memorize more words or, and, 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 and it just, it didn't make sense at the time reflecting back at the time. I was like, I don't know what to do. They're going to go to empower in grade two and they'll be fine. Or, you know, like there really wasn't, and that's not an okay attitude, but that's the one I had. And now, you know, I can see where they're stuck. They're stuck on a specific skill. And so you're able to practice and rehearse that, that skill and bring it into reading and bring it into writing. And, um, and then once they've mastered that skill, then there's progression. And so, um, and then when they're reading books, any book you put in front of them, you know, I could put a picture book in front of my students and they may not have the whole code but they're able to to get through parts of the book now and whereas they couldn't before they could look at the picture and you know orally tell a story which has a purpose at some point some point in time um but they they have those 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 tools those building blocks to continue going so I am able to make progressions with my students whereas before if they got stuck on a level they were stuck on a level and you know you were kind of at a loss as to how to move them so yeah before we go what would your advice be to a teacher in the position that you were two years ago before you started this journey I would start with a book, pick a book, um, you know, the, the art and science of teaching primary reading, or I think the differentiated lessons is a good one. Pick a book um, that aligns with structured literacy and read it and take time to digest <laughs> um, because it's a lot. And it's a, it's, it's a lot of learning. And like you say, like I'm, I'm still growing and figuring things out and do I have a right? perfect? No, like, I'm constantly guessing what I'm doing and trying to think of different strategies and how to support my students. But I would really, yeah, I would, I would, I would look at a a resource, a reading resource, and read it and try to digest it. Um, I think I really like the art and science of teaching primary reading, because it's not too heavy. Um, There's not and it, it's practical, there's practical applications, and it makes sense. Um, and, and then maybe try to talk with colleagues or get on social media, Twitter or Facebook uh, you know, there's the, um, Ontario science of reading, Canada science of reading, um, kindergarten right science to read initiative, right to read, in, right to read yeah. initiative and, and listen to podcasts as well. Right. Like I mentioned yesterday, I've listened to a ton of your podcasts and I I've, I've gained, I've learned so much just from listening to podcasts as well. And, you know, the experts and the teachers and, you know, I've tweeted at, um, was it Una Malcolm, I think that you had on and she talked about something and I sent a question and she answered back to me right away. And Madame uh, Lockhart, 
Lockhart on Twitter as well, Kim Lockhart. I've asked her questions. So don't be afraid to ask questions. People are, you know, there's a wealth of knowledge. And, and I think like with my teaching partner and other people, like I'm, I'm really invested in helping because I've seen the results and I want other people to get excited and be passionate about this too. And um, so ask, yeah, read something and ask questions. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us today, uh, Michelle. And for those of you watching or listening on a podcast, you can look to the description of this episode to get more information about the resources Michelle mentioned and her Twitter handle. Thank you very much. Take care.